I'm Chris. And I'm Matt. Welcome to Roleplay Chat. We are two game masters who can't stop talking about role-playing games. And today we talk about how playing video games might influence how you play your role-playing games. And as always, we're going to focus in on the roleplay and try to get better at it together. Great. How's, been, how's it going? How's it going, Matt? Yeah, it's been a while since we've recorded it. We had a pretty big backlog, eh, Chris? It's been a yeah. couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's been going. It's been going. I took, took some time, uh, time to myself. Uh, I actually played a lot of video games. Maybe that's why we're talking about video games in today's episode. But uh, yeah, I've been playing a lot of video games. I've been looking up a lot of role-playing games. There was this uh, Zine Quest number three on Kickstarter that just uh, that just happened it's a lot of like independent um rpgs people making you know one shots small adventures for like you know some of the big systems like dnd uh, fate uh, vampire masquerade that kind of stuff so it was cool it was fun i i looked around maybe got some inspiration for myself if i ever uh, if i ever run a game again anytime soon um, or like a one shot or whatever i'm not gonna name any of the any of the things but if you guys i'm not sure if it's even still live but maybe go check it out on kickstarter and itch.io and stuff they've got all kinds of sign quests so go uh take a look they're pretty pretty affordable too how about you chris how how have things been i'm pretty busy work and stuff uh i've been uh been very excited about since we're playing about video games i've been very excited about the trailer of warhammer total war 3 just came out with the did you see it I no, I well, I saw there was uh, I saw it on Steam, and I was like, "Oh, Chris is definitely buying this." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks awesome. I'll send you the trailer. It looks really cool. It's what about uh, the, what the four, what armies? It's uh, I mean, they're doing the chaos now. So they they're, they they did undivided before. So all together was kind of. I was always a little bit dis- disappointed with that, but now they're splitting it. Corn seeds, uh, Slanesh, Nurgle. So it's oh, gonna cool. be. Yeah, I'm gonna have to send that to you because it's kind of relevant you know you did that's the really cool thing yeah, yeah it's, it's you... gonna be cool yeah and that kind of touches on something of like today this whole video game thing because like when i played Hello war warhammer it really like puts me in the mood and like the lore of the world so uh so there's definitely some 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 tie some some link there uh that i'm excited to explore with you today yeah, for sure. I'm I'm really excited about it. Um, and and I mean, maybe we can just jump right into the conversation. Um, I I actually had a lot of thoughts about video games, and I'm not going to get into all of them in this particular episode. But maybe maybe you know some seeding for future episodes. There's a lot of video game genres or styles that I think are really cool. Um, I don't know if these terms mean anything to you, Chris, but like the Metroidvania game or uh, a lot of tactical strategy games, you know, these these types of video games lend themselves better or worse to 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 role players and to, to people who play tabletop role playing games. And as I was thinking about that, as I was thinking about as I was playing Sekiro, uh, which is a ninja <laughs> ninja samurai type stealth game. Anyway, um, yeah, we we thought about video games, and I I tweeted out, I want to say yesterday or the day before yesterday, whether or not. People thought, in general, playing video games made you a better tabletop role-playing game player, be it a game master or or, or otherwise. And 
the results were pretty polarizing. Uh, 59% of people said yes, 41% of people said no. Uh, there's still about a day left on the poll, so we'll see. We'll see if it changes. But for the most part, you know, there were times when it was very close to 50-50. Um, I don't know if, if you had thoughts on that, Chris, or if you want to. Take well, yeah, but on. well, first, uh, I think I think it's an interesting question. When I saw it popped on, like your your Twitter, like the roleplay chat Twitter, with I, I was first. My first initial like reaction was, well, I mean. It might feed a little bit, but it's so it's so different. It's so separate. It's it's like asking like does playing sport help you in your role playing games? It's like well, it might depending on your what kind of role playing games you're play, like, playing or whatever. So <laughs> if you're playing a role initial... playing game about soccer, maybe. But I don't know. Plus <laughs> bowl, you know. But like, anyway, I was just thinking that that was my first reaction, and then I looked at the comments. I was like, actually, there's more to it than my gut. And then I started thinking about it. And I was like, you know what? There's something there. There's there's a discussion there to be had about um, the side effects, good and bad, and and maybe the thing that you don't notice might have an effect on you as, as, as when you come to the table as let's say a player that is used to video games. And maybe just before we go any deeper and any like yeah, I guess any deeper in the discussion. Uh, it's a kind of implicit, but you, Matt, are a, a lot more of a gamer than me in terms of video games. And I, I, I played, obviously, like the, the Skyrim, the, the Total War Warhammer. I played hours and hours of that. Uh, the Witcher. You know, I, I play a lot of those narrative, I guess. I tried Dragon Age. I tried, like, I don't play a lot of multiplayer game. I don't play a lot of Call of Duty and stuff like that. But, like, mm -hmm. the whole thing that's... Anything that's kind of close to role-playing games, I get a little bit of fix out of it, but I always tend to go back to role-playing games. It's it's kind of a fix when I cannot actually play a role-playing game. I think for you, it's it's probably different, right? Yeah, it's it's a little different. I mean, I've, I've always liked a lot of those video games that are like The Witcher, these like quote-unquote open-world fantasy settings. I think I'm pretty sure in, in like the video game lingo, they're called RPG games. Yeah, they like are, yeah. they're called role playing game. Yeah, like Chrono game. Trigger, and I think that's yeah. Yeah, that's, so I mean, that's a problem when you look up on the internet RPGs. So it, now it's TTRPG, right? Tabletop. Yeah, RPG, yeah. But it's still not. So anyway, yeah, sorry. I definitely play a lot of video games. I've been, I've been playing them forever, and I love them. I love different genres of them, and I definitely see them bleed into me as a player and as a game master um so, so i mean we, yeah that's kind of my question then what would be your your answer to your own question of like does it make you better or worse yeah yeah okay before i answer the my own question i'm going to give a caveat and then we can get into it um but i want to caveat that this episode is as always it's our opinions and it's our opinions based on the way that we like to play role-playing games which is obviously mm -hmm. you know with a title called Roleplay Chat, you can probably assume that we care a lot about roleplay. Um, and most of the people at our table do as well. So I just want to caveat that everything we say is with that vein of trying to achieve the best possible roleplay that we can, the most immersive experience we can at our table. And also, video games are also a very large, uh, a, a large topic with a lot of different styles and themes and genres so it's 
you know, take everything we're saying with a grain of salt here, guys. Don't go yelling at me <laughs> on Twitter. I don't, I don't want to hear it this time. Normally I taunt you, but today <laughs> I'm not feeling up to it. I had a long day at work. And anyway, um, <laughs> to answer my own question, <laughs> I'm going to say, I think in general, video games have a positive effect on players. I'm going to go, I'm going to go with that. I'm going to say players, be it game masters or otherwise, you know, there's pros and cons, but I have to balance it out. I'm going to be in the thumbs up camp. Nice. Um, how, about, how about you, Chris? I mean, I kind of want to, I kind of want to switch the question, but I guess this is not the, the exercise we're trying to do here. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'll preface it with another question with another answer and then I'll, I'll extrapolate. So, my the way i because okay let me put it this way this is not a yes or no question we both agree yeah, on yeah we agree to that for this sure this is not a yes or no question that's my but, trick most of my twitter polls that are yes or no they're not <laughs> yes or no questions <laughs> yeah and and that it's always that guy who says like well actually it's not a yes or no and yeah obviously but anyway all that to say that i changed the question in my mind to actually pick an answer and my question in my mind was would I rather have a player that comes to the my table if I'm the game master with like no video game experience at all and I have to like I don't have that to use as a reference or, sh or would I rather have like a, a avid video gamer who like knows his stuff mm -hmm. and my answer to that is I would prefer to have the person who hasn't played video games so then I extrapolate that my answer to your question is, is that people who play no. video games are terrible people. Is that what you're, <laughs> that what you're getting at, Chris? <laughs> I was, I was, I was treating this as purely as like the game, like having a player in my game, not as person. Sorry, I, I should have said that. I'm just messing with you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I think I think I would rather have to explain from scratch, have like a mind that is not affected by their preconception or their expectation that might translate from video games. I've played with my mother-in-law. I've played with my sister-in-law, people that don't play video game at all and that are not in the game. Like even board games are not a thing in their, in their universe. Mm -hmm. And it's such a blast to see them go through that, that experience. Um, and I've seen a lot of, it's hard. Some video gamers might be hard to break to bring to the the place where I want them to be at my table. Again, saying like at my yeah, table yeah. the way I want to play. So I think we're going to explore this further as we like kind of dissect what we're talking about here. Uh, but I'm cold right now, so I'm just going to put. Uh, <laughs> well, while well, Chris so take it, wow, well, you put your sweater on. Uh, I'm gonna, yeah, absolutely. So let's let's dive deep. We're gonna talk about the, you know, some of the pros, some of the cons, some of the things that that you know we have in terms of our thoughts about this. Um, ultimately, I think we're gonna also try to hope to give you guys some strategies. You know, if you do have people at your table that come to the come to your table with certain mindsets and and, and attitudes towards the game that are based off of video game experience, that perhaps there's ways to use that to their advantage or or find a way to you know course correct so let's let's get right into it let's let's start with the positives why don't we let's sure start. and i mean i like we, we kind of started like brainstorming positive and negative and like obviously there's going to be we're going to go off 
and say other things. But I don't want us to restrict ourselves to like just good and just bad after. It's probably going to intertwine a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Can... Let's go back and forth then. Um, <laughs> well, we'll see where where the discussion brings us. But yeah. Uh, well, what about what about for us then? Like, let's go. Let's start with our with our lived experience, Chris. Mm -hmm. For you, uh, what's something that you, as a tabletop RPG player, can say uh, you brought from the video game world? And was you know you, you were better for it. Oh me as a oh my god yeah that's a hard question because I started playing role playing games before. Uh, well I don't know I think okay let's go with exploration like the immersion I guess more immersion of in in a world I'm thinking of Nintendo sixty four back in the day the the whole like Mar Mario sixty four like mm -hmm. going from one like frame to the other to different worlds uh feel like the idea of being transported into another world uh it kind of makes it easy to imagine because that's the thing maybe some some people that are not used to like using that muscle mm -hmm. of like you are not you you are in the alternate universe i think nowadays it's easier with movies and stuff but um yeah it might be hard to do well in the, if you're used to playing video games, I think it's easier to play as someone else and make decisions like, you know, all those video games that make you ha make a decision. We have maybe, maybe you have four options, but you still have to pick one. Do you want to be mean? Do you want to be nice? Uh, so that allows you to maybe kind of warm up to the idea of having to do this. In a yeah, role. yeah. And, and it's common for people when they're playing video games to to decide like, okay, I'm going to be bad. I'm, I'm going to be a bad person in this, in this rendition of the game and I'm going to do all the bad choices and they kind of commit to that. I mean, that form of commitment to certain actions in the game it, it, at a very fundamental level is role play, right? It's, 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 mm -hmm. they're very on different levels of complexity than, than yeah. role playing, you know, first person, third person, all that. In a role playing game, like a tabletop role playing game, but it's still, like you're saying, it's a good introduction. Um, I remember Fate, uh, the actual video game Fate, where you could be basically so good that you almost like you become kind of angelic, or it can be so bad that you become like a demon at the end with like horns uh -huh, and stuff uh -huh. as you do bad things. Like the whole like you have to like you make decisions and it affects how you look and how people see you and all the mechanics. Yeah, that, that is cool, right? That is definitely something that can be translated to role-playing game. Yeah, for sure. Um, what about you? Um, I, I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot of things that I, that I take out of video games, actually, believe it or not. Um, but I, I think the thing that resonates the most with me and that I, I, I actively look for when I'm, when I'm playing a video game is cool characters. Um, you know, cool NPCs, uh, maybe a, a certain NPC in the game that has a has a funny accent or has a has a a shtick that is easily repeatable and memorable. And I'm like, wow, that's I could do that. I could I could make my NPC like this character, um, or even like an interesting story arc. Like it, it doesn't have to be long, but there's there's a moment where this NPC says or does something that's very memorable to me and it's easily translatable into something else. So as a game master, I like to even note those types of characters down and try to try to integrate them into my games. 
and and I think that speaks to a lot of mediums. Like you could do that with TV, do that with movies. But what I really find special about video games is that the NPC is kind of at your disposal. You you can keep going back to them, talk and talk to them. So like, it's gonna sound like a silly thing, but I I could I could try to nail their accent and parrot them as they're talking, or or I can do that kind of thing. Um, I've had my wife tell me that I sound like a, a silly person in the basement talking <laughs> to myself, but <laughs> but um, so I, I've definitely done that in the past. And and I think in terms of inspiration, general, and I don't think people listening are going to be too surprised by this. But there's a lot of inspiration that can be taken out of video games and, and inserted into your role playing game, your tabletop role. Yeah, for sure. Like, like when I was talking about Total Warhammer Three, it's the same universe that I play in. So, whatever hook they put a lot of like lore, uh, they put a lot of like flavor text. Uh, just hearing what Balthazar Gelt, which is a guy that I've read for years, like hearing how they portray his voice is interesting to me. So, mm-hmm. like all of this might like inspires me then to go back to my game. But this is a lot of like world building, I guess. But still. It, it, I, it's part of role playing games, right? And maybe something to mention here also is the fact that, like, I try to keep my game very lore friendly, exactly for that reason. I, we have like Vince at our table now plays probably even like way uh, Total War Warhammer, um, and like he's like I can see the difference him coming to my game. He knows things that he wouldn't know, he would not know otherwise. And that for me is helpful. Like it adds to my game that he gets all of that. Like you know, sometimes I was watching Matt Colville today. That his he did an episode on um, uh, what is it? Um, people being uh, engaged, players being engaged, and there was a lot about like engaging with the with the lore and with the world. Like mm-hmm. I'm not doing I'm not doing any work, and he's engaging with the world, right? So when he comes back and I put some kind of tidbit of information, he hooks on it. So uh, it's something that takes years to develop through just a game. Uh, so if, you, if you're playing in, in a universe that there's a video game for, it definitely adds something um, when you come back to the role-playing game universe. Yeah, especially like you're saying, if you're being more friendly, you're being consistent with that. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to kind of shift gears and talk about something else that I do in, in my in my in my gaming, if you're cool with that, Chris, could you have yeah, more yeah. to say about that? No, no, go yeah. ahead. So, I mean, an, another thing that I really like to do, and this is like an extremely specific example, but I play some strategy, like real, not real time, um, turn based strategy games, like with a grid. Uh, one series that I'm particularly fond of is the Fire Emblem series, which is a Nintendo series, and I love it because the characters are really cool and they're all very different and uh in some of the older games especially some of the recent games not so much but in some of the older games uh their their combat it's like a grid based combat with terrain in the way uh had a lot of really really interesting different like optional win conditions you know like it wasn't always just defeat all the bad guys it was maybe um go break down that door and steal that treasure before the other thieves can do it or um, go save that hostage. And if one particular character spoke to one of the bad guys, like a leader of the bad guys, then you could actually end the fight early. Little things like this that 
uh, have influenced my way of building combat uh, very strongly, actually. And sometimes when I'm you know having a dry spell and I can't think of what a fun combat encounter might be, I'll go and and think of those games and and try to see if I can steal uh, from them mm-hmm. as a game and, master. Yeah, now you're touching on like the game master coming from, and I guess we're doing kind of both at the same time here, but like the game master being a video gamer or the players being a video gamer, like in that example, I guess having players that also have like the same video game background, like we're all kind of gamers, like at different levels, but like, I think it might help so that it's easier to send the cues, the visual cues they're, they're used to have in a video game. You can kind of, you know, they can kind of metagame, I guess, uh, the, the, the game master and how the, the thing is set up. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I like what you're saying. And like the game master can use this inspiration. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a little bit of, it's, it's a little bit of a good and a bad thing for the player, um, right, Chris? Because, like you're saying, they could maybe they could maybe uh, maybe they're used to these kinds of cues, but at the same time, that means they're looking for them, um, which is where some of this video game experience might be detrimental to their tabletop experience, uh, because. You don't necessarily need to have those cues to do something in a role-playing game, um, in combat or out of combat. Um, so I don't know if you had some thoughts of that, Chris. But I definitely think that that, yeah. you know, if we bounce back and forth between the pros and the cons, this this is something that players could could kind of do to their their own detriment and enjoyment of the game if all they're doing is is sitting back waiting for cues that the game master gives them, because that's. <laughs> Yeah, this is where if you if you bring I, I think if you bring a video gamer um in a sandbox game, something that's very sandbox, uh that's you're gonna see that problem, I'm I'm pretty sure where well again when we say bring a video gamer, obviously it depends. But like if we take the, the problem that comes with like being used to play like a video game and I guess we're like doing a typical like player type like you're a video gamer type, uh, mm-hmm. then then coming in a sandbox with no direction m- might be unsettling. Where you're, like you said, you're looking for cues, you're looking for the the dot to appear on the map, you're looking for the person to tell you this is objective, you need to achieve this in that amount of time, uh, or maybe you have like, you know, specific like uh, markers uh, or level of success and. This is this can be how you do it in a role playing game, uh, but it's not always. And maybe they're gonna they're gonna feel a little bit lost in a vacuum, like a in the space where where if you are maybe more of a railroader or like you do a little bit more of railroad. And we have an episode on railroading versus sandbox and how railroading is not a bad thing. That's not how I'm saying it, <laughs> but like. If you're doing a rail, if you're doing a little bit more railroad, then that experience might not be that much of a problem. It might actually be a pro because it's going to get the player to move forward with what you you put in front of them without having them to basically disrupt. Maybe some play, people come to the table wanting to have that open experience, 
they're not going to like railroading where a video gamer might actually appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Even in video games that are quote-unquote open-world games, quests can be, can be rather linear in them. Or, or maybe linear is the wrong word, but, but it's very apparent when you have a quest, especially in games like Skyrim, you know, Assassin's Creed, you know, you talk to an NPC and then a quest marker appears on your map and all you really have to do is go to it. Um, yeah. So if, if a player enters a tabletop role-playing game with that attitude, um, like you said, Chris, if it's a, if it's a true sandbox, they're going to have a hard time. I guess one mitigation strategy, if you know you have a lot of, if you know you have a lot of people at your table that are used to playing video games, well, in, it, maybe don't go for that sandbox right off the get-go. Start with something that's more railroaded than you might normally do. Be a little bit more, um, you know, forthcoming with the clues and the and the the quest hooks and things like that, and slowly give them a little bit more. When they start to think of something, and they they talk about it, instead of shutting it down, maybe lean into that and find a way to use that uh, as part of the greater narrative to incentivize and encourage them to come up with their own input into the game and have them take this active role in what they're doing at the table. Yeah, and I think, like I have, I've had some of those players, the players that kind of maybe need a little bit more direction and i tend to put like you know i tend to put are you okay man sorry my wife's watching tv upstairs can you hear can you no, hear well, not really okay good <laughs> i think you're i think you're good uh but uh yeah sorry what was it? yeah i was just saying that um uh if you're having player who wants more direction yeah, okay, I tend to put uh, problems in front of my players and not tell them how to solve it. That's, and that's, I think, typical for a role-playing game. I, mm -hmm. Sometimes you might put certain things in front of them, but like if, if there's no specific way of solving it, those players might basically look at you as the game master and be like, but what do we have to do next? That's a big cry for help. You know, that's, that's a big, yeah. like, you're asking. And that's when I think... I tend to be like, you do whatever you want, but that's not super helpful. Like, I have some people on my table that will probably correct for this. Um, basically, the players will do it amongst them. But otherwise, I think as a game master, you need to be, okay, let's almost brainstorm together. Like, what do you know? Okay, what do you want to achieve? Who do you know might want to do? You know what? Give me a check of uh, lore. Give me, uh, for me and my thing is contact. Maybe you know someone. Yeah. Uh, who can help you? So, kind of like make the like create the direction that they cannot create by themselves, or they have a trouble problem doing it. But as you and we go back to like coaching, I guess, like as you go through them through the process of coming coming up with one of those answers, I believe at one point you start to become a little bit more. Uh, they, they become used to it, and mm -hmm. they discover what how how different it is from a video game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, if if I if I can let myself go back to the combat again for, yeah, um, one thing too that I find that video game players can can bring as a benefit here uh, when it comes to combat is often video games, especially tactical games, uh, you know, grid based tactical games or even real time tactical games, 
certainly encourage and incentivize you to think strategically, to think about, you know, I, I don't want to say min-maxing, but, you know, to think about what the best move might be, to think a few turns ahead, uh, to think strategically in that sense. So does it help you in your role play? No, but it certainly, depending on the type of game you're playing, uh, it's going to help you in your combat. I think it's going to help you in having a, a move. Like it's going to silly example, but having your move ready when it's your turn. Uh, <laughs> you know, hopefully, having lived through that in a video game will translate positively at the table. Now, if you're like us and you want people to have battle cries and to and to talk and describe how their fireball incinerated an enemy. That that might not come from a video game, and that might be a whole different muscle to flex. But um... yeah, I think there's a little bit of this, like this, I guess, description that you're talking about. But it it reminds me of I, I've in the last two days I've watched a world builder episode with uh, Ruffus. Uh, he he. So there's a, a game on YouTube you can find at World Builder. Uh, Brendan Lee Mulligan is in there. Um, so anyway, something that happened many times with Patrick, it's Patrick, right? Patrick Rothfuss. Yeah, uh, Patrick Rothfuss. He's a uh, fantastic author, by the way. Love all of his stuff. Anyway, yeah. back to you, Chris. <laughs> uh, he, he said a lot of time he's like, okay, I'm conflicted between having like my gamer hat on and my storyteller hat on. So he was saying a lot of that because he's like, I, I'm, I'm not going to use what he actually said because I, don't remember, I think he was a bard or whatever. It was like, it would be like, I know as a gamer, I should do a fireball now, but it would be so much better if instead I would go help that person because we're linking our backstory, you know, like something like that. Mm -hmm. And I think that shows well the problem, the, 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 not the problem, but the dichotomy, the, the, the conflict that might create having even two different players having those experience. One player being very, tactical video gaming and always doing the optimal thing and then maybe that that player will be frustrated when the other person does a suboptimal um decision uh, that is maybe more narrative uh driven i guess so yeah. i guess this is where you're talking about like being very tactical is a pro but in role-playing games you don't miss depending on how you play again you don't necessarily always want to play optimally uh, Optimally, that's not the word. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't, you don't, want, you don't necessarily optimize. want to optimize. Um, but one thing, and I don't want to like toot my own horn, but one thing that I I consider to be something that I think I bring to the table when I'm playing a game as a as a player is that I can kind of see what the optimal thing is because, or or at least I can I can me yeah. as a person can deduce like, oh, this would be a pretty strong move for me to do. And even knowing that, and even not, like, knowing it but choosing not to do it, I think is, is something that I can attribute to a mix of both of those hats being combined together. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure if I came to the table just with the narrative perspective that I, can, I would be able to appreciate my choice <laughs> as well. No, that makes sense. That makes um, sense. You kind of have to notice it in order to uh ignore it i guess that's what you're saying if, if that makes sense it's, it's maybe maybe silly thing to there's too many layers of of like too many layers of complexity to be for it to be considered a pro for video game players i guess but 
<laughs> anyway, that that uh, that's that. Um, what are some yeah. other things? Let's let's uh, maybe maybe I'll ju- I'll continue, but as we move on, uh, I think something we we need to mention here. Like I'm thinking of Dungeons and Dragons, and we're talking about tactical in combat. Absolutely. I think something that 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 um, video gamers, again, gener- like as a generality, is are, are probably good at is all the like understanding class, understanding even spell slot and stuff like that. Just oh, it's my mana, or you know, like. They have the lingo. They have, they they might understand more easily what again. Oh, you're the ranger. You're the rogue. Blah blah blah. And in combat, you move there. You have cover and all of this thing. But the problem for me is then when you get out of this role for initiative combat mode and you go to this more open, no mechanic like Dungeons and Dragon. It's not. It's it's a combat simulator. So outside of it, it still does what it has to do but it's a lot less directed it's a lot less video gamey yeah so that's when it becomes the weaker part i guess so that's where i'm i'm getting worried that maybe video gamers will basically see between combat as being almost like cutscenes in a video game where it's like we need to go through this but we would rather just be to the combat almost already so i don't know maybe when you want to talk about that a little bit yeah, yeah, no, I think that's a good point. And there's a couple things that you brought up, Chris, that I think are, are interesting. I, I might actually go to the start of what you were saying about how video game players might be more familiar with character building, uh, classes that like o- almost like the game within a game. Like if you think of Dungeons and Dragons, there's there's a whole gang of people that spend a lot of their time building the optimal, like what is the optimal wizard? And like, where should I put my stats? What spells, like, uh, in terms of the action economy, are the most broken? And which spells can I cheese to like get the best uh, results? And that's very much a video game attitude, I think. Like, <laughs> I'm gonna use a really silly, a really silly example, but in the video game I'm playing right now, Sekiro, which is an extraordinarily difficult video game, it's made by the people who make the Dark Souls series, so it's. Is I'm just dying every five every two minutes I'm dying and when you go up to a boss that you can't beat I looked up guides for some of them because I was fed up of spending hours getting destroyed by them and there's like all these strategies that people have oh go up on this ledge and then he can never hit you and you can just like hit the top of his head forever and then you beat him like <laughs> yeah that's very much a video game like some people play video games like this I I have to admit I I don't. I'm, I'm not proud of it, but I had to do that sometimes. <laughs> there, there are people that might come to a, a role-playing game with that attitude, and I'm going to say that that's not a good attitude to have with a role-playing game. Um, <laughs> but but there is some fun to be had, you know, building a really strong wizard or really strong fighter and trying to pick the best best attacks and spells and things and uh, things that have synergies with each other. But I think that the big caveat is that you can't let that get in the way of the other things that a role playing a, a tabletop role playing game has to offer, right? Which is this narrative, uh, collaborative narrative storytelling. So it's finding that balance, which hopefully just knowing about it is enough. But but if it's not, if if you're a person who likes to build the best and most optimal character in a game. 
try to try to consider what you're missing out on by not picking a spell that like the enlarged spell and then like enlarging a table at a bar and having it take up the whole room and you know and, and having some silly scene like that happen anyway it what, what, what was it when one of our friends he he did the enlarged spell on the floor do you remember that, Chris? He like enlarged the there. floor. We yeah, we were like being captured by someone, and he used the shrink and enlarge spell on the floorboards of a house to shrink it so that so that our enemies would fall to the second big again so that they couldn't come back up. Anyway, it was absolutely ridiculous. But here I am, like seven years later, still talking about. Um, <laughs> yeah, suboptimal, like you know. I you play a wizard, they're like, you have to take shield, you have to take shield. Well, maybe it doesn't... Maybe you have another another spell you'd rather have that is more narrative, and it's more... You, you know how it's going to fit with your character, and maybe mm-hmm. your character is all about offense for some reason, and boy, you, you, this is not an optimal choice, but it's a character choice, which might be optimal for a role-playing game. Anyway, I think, I think we were maybe trying to beat a dead horse here. But uh, <laughs> for sure. What else? Well, did you have something else to say about maybe the the whole like combat versus like being outside of combat, like the cutscene I was saying? Um, um, not that I could think of off the top of my head. Um, yeah. the cutscenes. Well, I mean, there, there's maybe something to say here about role play. Um, mm-hmm. and and I'm I'm gonna help me if I'm going somewhere that you don't, want, Chris. But um. In in role play, in a lot of our in a lot of our episodes, you know, we talk about how player characters should have objectives. Player characters should be gift giving. They should prelude things that they want to have more narrative importance as they move forward. And I think somebody, if somebody's treating everything in between combat as a cutscene, or or even if they're not, even if they're you know, kind of reacting to certain elements of role play, they're not they're not being active in the future of their character the way that I think, you know, I would expect them or want them to be at, at a table. Because as a tabletop role player, especially in, in our environment, you know, each player takes, I think, a very active role in how they want their character to evolve, the things that they're setting out for them, um, the, the kind of evolution and story arc that they expect their characters, at, at least, you know, in the next few games or, or maybe in a very long time, but they don't know how they're going to get there, they have this stuff kind of thought of in their head. And this might not be something that a, a video game player is going to bring to the table. I, I, I certainly think that they're, they're used to being more passive and more of like a spectator when it comes to th- the story of the game, but even their own character. Yeah, I think there's a lot of habits of maybe thinking oh it'd be cool if this happened as in like i have no control over it let's see if the game master has have this happen and not maybe like thinking of how can i make it happen or how can i make something happen that i want to see you know like how can i set up a, a, a tension that i can resolve later how can i give something to the game master that he's going to use after and not just be there waiting for the game master to give me things to react to. Mm-hmm. And, and when you talked about gift giving also, like I, I thought about preluding before, and I guess that's my idea about preluding, but gift giving is also a big one where if you're 
a video gamer and like pure video gamer, you are the hero all the time. You're the center. If you decide to kill people, if you decide to to like say the stupid thing in the video game, you're you're the only person there. You're the only one dealing with the repercussion. And also, you're the, you're playing for your fun, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, in a role playing game, that's not how it works. You're part of a team. You're there to have fun, but you're also responsible for the other players' fun, including the game master. Um, you're there to listen. You're there to the person who's setting up a story arc. You're there to see it, hear it, and then try to make that happen for them as they are doing it for you. Otherwise, everybody's playing an individual game, and that's really not what role playing is about. So, I think. If you come to the table expecting to be the Witcher, <laughs> yeah, uh, it might be cool, but you have to make sure you know that everybody has their own character, and you need to all work together. To yeah, it. that's a really good point, Chris. And I wonder, not to put you on the spot or put us on the spot, but what's something that a, a game master who has players like this at their table, what can they do to try and 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 get them more towards preluding more towards gift giving and obviously there's the easy answer of to talk about it but mm -hmm. let's 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 pretend that that's not an answer here what's something that a game master could do their game to to try to incentivize or encourage people to care more about other people's backstories or or more other people's character growth i might i might say pair up you know like I would pair them up. I would be like you and you, uh, and, and obviously, like this is not order, but be like, wouldn't it be cool if your Witcher type character uh, would have maybe a, an NPC in common, or maybe it's just like, did you notice that you want to retrieve your heirlooms of your family, and that person actually uh, has a history background? Maybe they heard something about your family. And how can you figure out how you can also relate to them and kind of like go through that exercise of let's build those links. Uh, yeah. What do you like about that character? What, what, how can you help that person achieve your goal? And like we talked previously, like I, I guess episodes ago about like the story, the, we use it as a role-playing matrix where we kind of like put our all in names vertically and horizontally. And in the intersection, we, we wrote more like role-play stuff but you could definitely have one in terms of objectives where like, how do we work together? Like what objective are common? What objectives are maybe not opposite, but are, I was just say different mm -hmm. um, and kind of build on, on those things. And it's, I think it's going to make it easier for that character to then grab the cues and, you know, get, getting, I guess, involved with everybody else's story. Yeah, no, that's really good. I like the table, actually. The table's a good one. Um, and I, I like how you said to pair them up. I was even thinking what could be interesting is to take those objectives as the game master and, like, find a way for them to be dependent, mm -hmm. like, narratively for the two things to be... Although they, one guy wants this old ancient book so that he can learn a new spell, and then the other guy wants to get revenge on the person who killed his mother. Well. Why don't you make the person who owns the book the person that they're trying to get revenge on? You know what I mean? Like, as, as the game master, you are controlling a vast majority of, of the world around it, around the players. Mm -hmm. 
with their input, of course, but maybe find a way to maybe find a way to link the characters together to force them, quote unquote, force them to have to collaborate with each other. Um, I and another interesting thing that I've never actually totally tried to do, but now that I talk about it, it could it could I think be a pretty interesting solution is just to have NPCs, um, almost like forced feed the growth together. You know, like if if two people just finished a big fight, have an NPC be like, "Wow, the two of you fought so well together. Where did you learn to work so well?" Like, like ask them, ask them questions narratively. Ask them questions in character that are like loaded questions that maybe have them build those links for each other. Um, yeah, I could see an NPC at a tavern just be like, "Why are you guys together?" Like, I mean, this is all questions. I hope the players have an answer for yeah, yeah again coming from our place of like wanting to role play and that's some things that i would probably figure out outside of like the role playing like the actual <laughs> game universe but uh so that's where i guess i come back to like pairing up in group unity and yeah yeah for sure I, and i mean we could um if i could say one other thing about this that i think could be could be interesting um an exercise that I like to do before one shots is having people tell one another something that their character likes about another character and something that their character, you know, has a disagreement with another character about. Uh, it could be like a character trait or what have you. Now, obviously, this kind of maybe it's a half answer because it's a little bit talking about it. But um, if if you you want the characters to be linked together, this is a good exercise, and it, it actually comes from the RPG, the tabletop RPG called Fiasco. So perhaps, you know, before your next game, you could have your players do something like this where they meta out of character, talk about how their character feels about another character at the table. And having this exercise go happen will obviously lead to them being linked a little bit closer to one another and hopefully be a little bit more invested. Yeah, and, and find maybe ways of expressing that too. Um, we 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 have two play two characters in our main group, which is Otis and Randall. And we've from the beginning we're like they're friend, they're close. And I mean we see a little bit of that as we play. Uh, but I think we got a lot more of it when we played the improv game and we went back in time and we learned that Randall's bow was actually a gift from Otis be to get free of his father and blah, blah, blah. There's the whole thing. But learning this, then Randall's like, oh, this like the bow I use was given by that character that helped me get some kind of independence. And then I, we could kind of tell that those players were... Before it was just like, oh, we're close, we're friends. Okay, but mm -hmm. how and how is it experienced through the story? And if you don't want to like live through it then you can like backpedal not backpedal but you can just backfill it like you know you fill in the blanks that are in the past and that's gonna educate the future i guess yeah no absolutely um not that we're getting super long but we're we're starting to run a little long and i think there's a few other things we wanted to talk about yeah. so let's let's quickly jump to another topic uh something that i think is uh, extremely detrimental that a video game player can bring to a tabletop RPG attitude uh, RPG game 
is uh, an attitude that I like to call the like 100%ing something or the clearing the map mentality. Uh, th th these are things that, to my understanding, in our tabletop role-playing game does not exist. Like you can't 100% something in part because the game master probably doesn't have 100% of it figured out. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I, I don't know, Chris, if you had, if you had anything to, to say well, about that. Yeah, it, this is a big, this is a, so, so I create, I designed a, a tomb in one of our games, uh, in the, the, our main games. And I remember worrying because I created as basically too high of a level, but it was kind of like, go inside the tomb and go as far as you can, push your luck mechanic kind of deal. And I was worried about it, so I told you guys, I was like, just so you know, this is not something you, like, I don't expect you to go to the end of it. I don't expect you to get to the point where you're like, we actually did the full mission. Basically, what you're saying, like, I'm not expecting mm -hmm. you to 100%. This is not a video game. Don't think you're going to, necessarily finish it which i don't know what would have happened if i didn't say that but i think it kind of educated people to maybe be like okay we need to just find a perfect time to get up to get back up uh but yeah otherwise i could definitely see video gamers just be like well we're supposed to finish this right so this was probably this monster was probably the last monster let's just go see the next room is probably the treasure but like this is metagaming Mm -hmm. the 100% thing you're talking about, right? Yeah, and, and actually, this makes me think of slightly unrelated, but a lot of video games, um, unwinnable encounters in video games, like, at the end of the fight, you die and lose, or the bad guy doesn't kill you, but, like, could have, and then goes away. And that all happens in a cutscene or whatever. So, the, the being active in the choice of running away normally isn't part of a video game no so so yeah. if yeah. and now we're talking about unwinnable encounters in a, in a tabletop that's a whole other it's a whole other kind of work but um i could see a video game player not thinking to even stop and turn around they're just gonna be like well i'm not gonna die if it's unwinnable the game master is just gonna just cutscene me back to the top or whatever um <laughs> Yeah, I think you're touching on a, a big one too. The the just the balance encounter. Just the you talk about unwinnable, but I wouldn't even go there. Just expecting a, a battle to be balanced mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is a I mean, I know video games sometimes the encounters are not like if you're talking about again Total War Warhammer, it's not always balanced, but like they tell you what the balance of the combat is in events, so you know. But normally I think games like that you expect to come to a battle with like it's going to be balanced. The Dungeons and Dragon has the whole like the rating system, but it's not. It's like we've talked about it in the past. Like depending on did you get high ground, how much did you prepare, blah blah blah. Like it's not the. I don't think, and that may be a personal opinion, but I don't think it's the game master's role to balance an encounter. That might be. Yeah, yeah. Weird. I mean, yeah, so that's, that's, also a that's another discussion. But <laughs> let's 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 just say that like to come to the table expecting every encounter to be balanced. Mm -hmm. is not a good way, I think, to tackle uh, role-playing games. Yeah, yeah. And then actually, if we go back to, if we go back to this 100%ing um, something, I, I think it can lead to some 
some interesting behavior at the table. Uh, one behavior that maybe I've talked about this on the show before and I forget, but one time I was running a game for some friends, uh, two of which played a lot of video games. They have a lot of experience playing video games. And I put them in this bandits, uh, in this bandits camp. They were like raid, like they were sneaking into the bandit camp. And while they were doing this, one of the bandits saw them and was actually like sneaking, like he told everybody else and told them like, let's go out the back door and take all the treasure and like leave. Let's leave our, this cave, which, you know, it's just a cave, whatever, we'll find another one. So as the players were in exploring this, this camp, they were taking their sweet time looking through the bookshelves, looking under every single bed, like talking to one another. In the meantime, the thing that they came to get, which was like this talisman or whatever, the, the, the bandits were going to be fleeing away with it through the back door. And I was tr giving clues that like this was happening. You know, like I, I didn't, I wasn't a bat, like I wasn't a GM and just like, oh, you're not going to know. Like I was giving them hints. I was like, oh, you know, it's, you see a guard, like you hear sounds scurrying away or you hear somebody pack that away, pack that away. Like, you know, like I was giving clues to say like, look, time, time is of the essence here to the point where I even said it. I was like, look, guys, you can spend more time doing this, but you suspect that bandits are clearing out of here with the treasure. Mm -hmm. And they were like, that's okay. They're still going to be there when we go to the room where the bandits are clearing away with the treasure. And I was like, no, no, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because you expect that if you go to the next room, it's not just going to be empty, right? You didn't design it to be empty. Yeah. Well, that's not how it works here. And that's it's the pause, right? It's the, oh, I'm in this room. Everything else is paused. This is almost like round base, turn base. And yeah. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. yeah. It, that's was, definitely... it was interesting. Um... And I think, I think it touches on something you talked about in terms of, I, I don't know why, but I, I feel like it's similar to this passive player thing, which I think is probably the main issue of video gamers. Like, you think it's built around you for you to experience. So, I don't know. If you, if you think the bandits are not going to go away, you don't need to take specific action for it. You just need to be passive, go through the motion, and eventually you, you'll end up doing everything. You'll end up just like experiencing what there was to experience. So being passive is a problem, and that comes like something I I don't I didn't know how to call it. So I I, I wrote random clicks to get the answer. Uh, you know, like the 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 guy exploring a place, and I, it feels like what you're saying, right? They're like in a room. They're like there might be a secret room here. So let's look at all the books. Let's look at, and then you just make roll after roll after roll, and you you're like, well, there's an answer somewhere. So I'm just gonna randomly make checks until I, mm -hmm. the game master gets annoyed and give it to me, I guess. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, for sure. And, and that was a little bit of what was happening. I mean, I don't really, I, I think making time of the essence is the only real thing a game master can, can do. I think you, you can't give in to it either. Like you can't be like, oh, well, maybe I'm going to give them, I'm going to throw them this bone and next time they won't do it. Now, if you, if you, if you allow them to do that and still get their reward after they're definitely not going to learn from it. Like, I think maybe this is a mean thing to say, but you almost have to 
you you have to at least one time show them the consequences of their actions they'll make it a character death or something intense like that but you know showing that the treasure's gone if you if you wait too long or the guards will alert the other guards and it'll be it, you'll waste all of your spell slots you'll waste everything getting through this one fight um it, it's a, showing the consequences of waiting around can be one thing some some games have interesting mechanics where they have like little clocks uh like time sand timers or or even like you can draw uh shadows in the dark or blades in the dark rather have has this mechanic where as a game master you draw a little a little pie like a pie chart on the corner of a of a map or whatever and you fill in the pie chart and you don't you don't say anything you, you, you don't even have to explain why it's getting filled in you don't have to explain what happens when it's filled in but just the action of doing that will tell the players that well, something's going to happen when this is filled filled yeah, um, so, passage of time yeah to show like yeah you've just lost one segment of this talking what you going to do now are you going to steep you continue talking yeah okay we'll see what happens <laughs> it's yeah, yeah yeah for sure for sure so um i mean we've talked a bit about like i guess i want i'll say cons but like maybe problems you might face uh maybe we can go back to some some good things i guess uh I think I think we we touched a little bit on on story hooks, and for me, I guess it falls a little bit into inspiration. But um, I think something that video games are good at is also like giving problems, putting mission in front of the of the player. I guess the place the the the, the place where I have a problem with is kind of like how to solve those problems. Mm -hmm. So for me, video games are. Um, a gold mine of story hooks or mission hooks where you can you can take pretty much any of them and make a whole a whole adventure around them but i wouldn't the, the resolution of it would not be as limited as in the video game yeah no for sure there's some really cool um cool story hooks and an inspiration for that um yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to something else because I can't think of it. <laughs> no, no, I mean it's <laughs> but uh, something that I that I also find as a benefit is is that you can often kind of not only steal hooks from video games, but there's a lot of cool subsystems in video games. Um, now, video games tend to do I think subsystems better than tabletop role playing games because they have computers and and you know processing power to like handle the weight. That your Skyrim character can carry and things like this, um, but some every now and then, especially in I find it independent games, games they come up with really interesting systems, really strange things um, that can that can be used as like a really fun game in a tabletop role playing game. Um, I'm trying to think of even some smaller games like Faster Than Light. TL, which is a small video game where you are managing a ship, managing the different routes of the ship as you travel through space. And that's the whole game. It's extremely punishing, it's extremely hard, and it's not overly complicated. But, uh, you know, I could, if I were running like a sci fi game, there might be something to learn from that as like a mini game for space travel, what have you. 
So video games can be good for systems. I know, Chris, you build a lot of your own systems. Have you ever drawn inspiration from video games? Yeah, I mean, um, my encum encumbrance system is very weird. Uh, I didn't see, I haven't seen any role-playing games doing it like that, but it started as kind of a, I, I don't know, I, I took some inspiration of um, Diablo with the whole uh, system where you actually have boxes that you physically have to fit the object in. Like, okay. that's not how it ended up being. But like starting from that point of kind of made me go backward and finish with 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 that system. So that would be probably one of the subsystem um, that I've worked with. Yeah, my encumbrance system is weird, but I like it. It's a it's a, it's a good weird. Um, yeah, I guess that would be my answer. Cool. Yeah, that's that's cool. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of interest. I I, I want to start you on something. I think. Um, Zelda. You haven't talked about Zelda. I think I think I for me the way I see you sometimes design levels, designed uh I don't want to say combat, but like the, the whole puzzly yeah. aspect of um encounter feels like a Zelda and I don't have a lot of experience with other games, so that's what the one I'm I'm taking to compare it with. But yeah, no, whole, you're like, you're right. Puzzle yeah. at the same time. I do, I do, I do take a lot of Zelda into my game, uh, especially when it comes to like puzzle solving. Um, lately, I've also been using a lot of inspiration for the latest Zelda game, Breath of the Wild, um, because the way that they've approached the way that they've approached that game is very different from how they've approached puzzles in previous games, where it's um, it's almost like I don't want to call them systems because they're not really but it's like certain things catch on fire and certain things conduct electricity and certain things are metals so you can move around like gigantic magnet thing. Um, and, you know, there's all of these different things that can be interacted with in a variety of ways in, in an expected outcome, right? Like mm -hmm. something that catches on fire, well, it's going to catch on fire, it's going to create an updraft, it's going to dry up, whatever. Uh, so the game is just littered with these things that can be interacted with in predictable ways and you're supposed to use them to like in in sequence to solve certain puzzles and and oftentimes you know the game allows you to be extremely creative in how you solve a puzzle as long as it's within the confines of the rules of those those subsystems so that lately that's how i've been thinking about uh, my encounters a lot um I also really like Mario games. Uh, I think I've talked about this on the show before, but the, the way that Mario games approach things that are dangerous to you um, are, are very uh, inspiring for me, and it's critical in the way that I try to implement dangerous things in my games. Um, you talk about the incremental thing of like incremental, trying it. Yeah. yeah, so like you introduce it in an environment the first thing you do is you introduce it in an environment where it's safe to fail. So, for instance, jumping, there's like a... A double jump. A double jump, yeah. So there's a big, there's a big gap. You got to double jump over it. Well, if you, if you fail, it's okay because you're just going to land on the ground, bottom of the thing, and then you can around. 
um, after you've introduced it in a safe environment, get a little complicated and you introduce a threat, but the, the, the threat is usually just like backtracking. You got to spend more time to get over it. And then ultimately the last thing is that, okay, now you're going to lose a life. Now your, your character is going to get hurt and you start from the beginning of the level, whatever. So, you know, this kind of level design where it's incremental, I think is, has been instrumental in the way that I designed levels in my games. Um, I don't know if I, I don't know how that might affect somebody as a player. Um, I, I don't know if that you know maybe gives players a false sense of security. <laughs> well, if, I guess if if you're coming with that expectation and you're coming into my game with that expectation, that might be detrimental. Yeah, uh, because you might be like, well, I just wanted to try this. Well, yeah, too late. Like, I'm not saying I would do this, but, like, I could see someone expecting it to be that first initial, like, oh, it's our first combat here. It's not going to be dangerous for real. Well, yeah, maybe it is, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's also system dependent, right? Yeah. Um, some systems are far more punishing than others. So hopefully players take that into account. Yeah, for sure. But I think I think we covered a lot of thing here. Um, obviously, there's a lot of things to say about like video, and we're kind of generalizing again. Just mm-hmm. to finish with the same caveat that we said at the beginning, this is our experience, and we're going with like let's say you're purely video game, and that's what you base your experience on. When you come to the to the table, you might be very tactical. You might be. Uh, you you might know the tropes. You might be very used to this, like getting hooked, doing an objective from A to B. But there is some negative that comes to it. Some of those, like um, you know, being used to having a limited amount of choices and not thinking of, you know, what I can create my own path. Yeah, this- absolutely. So I, you know, if if you're one of those people, I would encourage, I, I challenge you and encourage you to to try to think outside the video game box try to unlearn some of the things that the video game world has uh, you know forced you to learn as you play through your games change your expectations a little bit and as a game master if you're playing with folks you know you, you seem to think have these uh these experiences these video game experiences and they're bringing them to your table you can definitely encourage certain behaviors because they're beneficial but I would also encourage you to try to challenge them and, and try to find ways to get them outside of that box, whether that be by talking to them, by you know, slowly, gradually introducing concepts like play, gift giving, that kind of stuff to them. And I mean, feel free to, feel free to share our episodes with them as well. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to that. Yeah, um, I, think, I think a lot of things we talk about are, you know, like, preluding like you said gift giving this whole like uh challenging enabling you know like we have a lot of discussion that are, are i think are useful if you come with this this video game uh, experience where you think that by randomly going through the motion you'll end up with the answer uh that's true in video games but most video games not all uh but it's not true in role playing games yeah, so you know, you you don't get to come back, reload, 
Mm-hmm. And like this whole experience of like, I'm just going to try and, 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 and then we'll reload and retry until we get it. I mean, that might be a cool mechanic if you want to build your game around it. But most of the time, that's that's you need to deal with the consequences. So, Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I hope you guys liked today's episode. It was a little bit different. We talked about uh, video games a little bit more than we normally do. But um, I'd, I'd, be, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this and I'd love for you to follow us on Twitter. I, I like to post all kinds of fun and enter into interesting conversations with the folks in that community. So you can do so by contacting us at Twitter. That's at underscore play underscore chat. Or we have an email that's contact roleplaychat at gmail.com. Yeah. So, and, no, go for I, it, Chris. No, I'm just going to say I think that closes the discussion, right? I'm yeah. trying to see how we're going to do this new, like, we talked about it like a month ago. That I was trying to put to to tell you to finish it, but I don't know how to do it, Matt. So <laughs> I'll say uh, I'll say it was a good discussion. I had fun. I learned, and uh, that's all I have to say to you, Matt. Okay, that's good, Chris. So then, in that case, let's call it a chat. Is that how I should do it? <laughs> <laughs>